Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. I am Gareth, creator of Skewed and Reviewed. You can catch us online at SKNR.net. You can also catch us at Pinal, P-I-N-A-L, central.com, keyword skewed, which are 12 newspapers where we do game and other coverage, just keyword skewed, like I said. Each week, BJ Shea's Geek Nation on KISWFM. I do a weekly radio segment, and uh, usually on Friday, sometimes there's been some things with the uh, current world situation. We push back till Monday, like this week's segment's going to appear tomorrow. Uh, some things are held for timing, but that's another story. And of course, our um, quarterly magazine, Skewed and Reviewed the Magazine, we will have the latest issue out at the end of March. We're actually going to be talking about the cover story a little later in the show today. And I am joined, as always, with Justin and Joseph. Michael is attending to some family things in Colorado this morning, so he won't be able to join us, but he did check in and let us know that he is doing okay. And uh, they got there all right. Weather's been really good, so uh, glad to hear that. So starting off, we're going to start with uh, some potential uh, negative stories, but nonetheless topical and then we're going to move into some really interesting stuff, uh, including finally some news on the new Aliens video game. So this weekend, Walt Disney released Raya and the Last Dragon into theaters and on a paywall behind Disney um, Plus' streaming service. Now, last weekend, Tom and Jerry came out under a similar situation, not a paywall per se, but on a paid service on HBO Max. Did not get good reviews but did almost $15 million at the box office. Raya by Backlash um, had issues. There were a number of chains, such as Harkins, Cinemark, Cineworld in the U.S. Canada, who have said they will not carry the film in their theaters. And part of this was they were apparently upset by comments made uh, by Disney executives that the window or the uh, which is the length of time from a movie being available theatrically to other formats, DVDs, video on demand, pay-per-view would probably be smaller going forward. They didn't like the fact that unlike certain deals uh, that AMC and others have with places such as uh, Universal, so on and so forth, that there is no sharing of this money that is being raised through video on demand with the theaters. They're struggling right now. And they basically said, well, that's it. We're not going to carry the film. Uh, movie opened to about eight and a half million dollars, even though it had much better reviews. Don't know yet how well it's doing on the paywall. That'll come in time. But it's caused people to have a look at uh, what's coming. And by that, Black Widow, which is now due for May after being delayed a year, a full slate of Marvel films to follow, and uh, there's a lot of question, will Disney work a deal? Will Disney offer it behind a paywall, or will they open it up straight to theaters? And if so, damage needs to get repaired. So, um, Justin, you want to fire off and start us off? Tell us what you think about all this. Yeah, this is a, this is a tough one, because... Um... Yeah, I, I, I'm a theater goer. I love going to the theaters. It's a experience I like. Um, but, um, you know, it's obvious that the theaters are kind of in the losing situation right now. They don't really have a lot of bargaining power in this in this situation. You know, 
at the end of the day, th these are, um, you know, businesses making business decisions and really the, um, you know, the, the relationship between studios and, and theaters was really a, a mutually beneficial one where it's like, well, the studios release the movies in the theaters to, uh, to make their money. And, um, obviously that that's how the theaters make their money. But right now the, the going to the theaters is just not feasible um and they're kind of relying on just the good nature and, and charity of of the studios to kind of keep them going um so they're kind of in a tough negotiating spot where they can't really they can't really do anything other than what they're what they what they've done which is basically say like hey if if you decide to you know kind of keep this going uh, releasing on your own streaming services um, without getting us any sort of the cut uh, we're just going to have to you know not carry your movie but that just ends up hurting them even more because <laughs> that's how they make their money so I, I really feel bad for them they're in a really bad situation right now and um, you know at least for the next probably six months or so um, they're it's still probably not going to be feasible to go to the theaters for the wide you know, widespread population. I know that there's some places where you, you can go to the theaters, um, with, you know, that are distanced and you have to wear masks and stuff. But even then, even, even when everybody's like vaccinated and, um, cases are at like trace amounts, um, I still think that there's probably going to be some apprehension of people going to theaters. So they're going to be struggling for a long time. Um, and yeah, they're, they're going to have to, there's they, they have to rely on some sort of um something beyond just um movies coming back to theaters because th they've been hurting for so long in fact i think alamo uh, uh filed for bankruptcy if i'm not mistaken uh just this last week so Correct. um there it's it's a really bad situation i think really the worst case for them um, it's kind of you can kind of see it in, in the in the margins here where some of these studios are basically saying like oh yeah like even after uh, you know uh, like December you know way later in the year when you know everybody knows or everybody I think well most people I would say um, are kind of under the expectation that COVID will be relatively under control by the end of the year um, you know and things can return to normal like in fact uh, you know just as a side note like. Phoenix Fan Fusion has announced uh, dates for January, so I think you know a lot of people are kind of under the mentality that you know around December, January, like things will be normal, and I think that's reasonable. That's a definitely a reasonable uh, expectation, uh, unless something really goes wrong. Um, so, the fact that a lot of these studios are basically saying like, "Oh yeah, like even even at the end of the year, um, we're still going to be ex like releasing movies exclusively on our streaming services," is really like a major slap in the face to theaters. Um, but at the same time, like, what do the theaters do? Like, they don't really have any negotiating power in this situation. Um, the only thing that I think might be a silver lining for them is that um, I I still don't think that streaming services are a very sustainable way to uh to to release major budget movies um i might be wrong on that but to me just the math doesn't seem to make sense um you know if you have subscribers if you're basically if you're 
relying on your your income from subscribers um the math for like a you know let's say like a 500 billion dollar or 500 billion 500 million dollar movie um you know you're relying on on just subscriber base to make up that that cost uh that doesn't really seem to add up to me uh, i might be wrong on that but i i just don't really see that this is a long-term feasibility for for the studios but you know i guess we'll just have to kind of wait and see how this shakes out and joseph your take please yeah i was kind of on the same page like when i first heard that you know this studios or these uh, theaters had a problem with disney i was like well what's the difference between that and hbo max and what they're doing at least you know hbo max is to me more of a slap in the face because they're not charging for the movie on their service i mean yeah you have to pay for the service but it's not like disney where it's behind a paywall but you know the more i think about it is could we be heading in that direction is disney really burning bridges or are they developing a new model that's just leaving the theaters behind and it really has me wondering what what things are going to look like even a year from now in terms of like has disney been blacklisted from theaters has other things happened that theaters are no longer even a thing anymore how or what are they going to do to adapt because i don't see the theater culture going back to what it was at least not for several years um so i I, you know it's going to be really interesting to see how it all pans out I think what it's going to take, it's going to be a combination of things. Number one, obviously, communication is going to have to be key. And I I hate to say it, but I think that what is going to have to happen is that some film is going to have to pull a solo and underperform to the point where they're going to have to say, wow, uh, you know, if we had the theaters, uh, we would have definitely turned the corner on this. And it's it's so tricky because you know people say, oh these the these studios are so greedy and blah blah blah. Well, the flip side of it is you have to remember they are the ones that put up all the money to make these films. They're the ones that have been sitting for a year with all these films in the can that have already been paid for, but no revenue coming back. They're also the ones that are having to go out and start cranking. They're you know producing away on the films that are going to be coming in 2022. And then you combine it with the fact that Disney's sitting there going, we don't have our cruises, we don't have a majority of our theme parks, and even the ones that are open are at limited capacity. Um, You know, down the line, we don't have our usual revenue streams, and there you have it. And I think for me, what I see is definitely a changing face. Justin mentioned Alamo filing for bankruptcy. Well, they've agreed that their uh, assets are going to be sold off to a new investment group but one of the founders is part of this new investment group and they've already come out and put out stuff on social media saying we're not going anywhere you know this is basically financial stuff paperwork behind the scenes yes some underperforming locations may go but they're not going anywhere we're going to keep up with our um usual you know routine and motif and we'll see how that goes and i know we've talked about this with michael but for me i think a very key thing to look at folks is august 23rd through 26 and that's when CinemaCon is supposed to take place in las vegas now traditionally it happens in march or april in fact uh 
I remember last year at this time when they were still uh, under the attempt that they were going to go ahead. They had already come out and said that all the studios had committed to coming and that aside from a few vendors and I think some Pacific Rim um, attendees, they were all told everything is good to go. Well, unfortunately, as we know, about a couple weeks later, this all became moot because the two-week lockdown to flatten the curve uh, just kept growing and growing and growing. So there you have it. And so they're uh, getting ready to roll out. And for those who've never been, this is an industry showcase where the theater chains um, can go. They can see new products that are going to be available from concessions and seating and projection. But then there's also the big showcase events where the big studios come out and even the smaller ones. You have STX and Amazon, uh, you know, right up there. But the studios come out and they essentially do these showcases where they um, bring out some stars, bring out some footage of upcoming films. And then there's an award show with even more stars and stuff like this. But the whole idea behind it is essentially for them to tell the theatrical owners, we value you. We care about you. This is what we've got coming out. This is why you should be excited about it and start booking these, you know, films in your thing. Um, it provides, I believe there are some areas where meetings can happen and it allows some back and forth, but it's essentially um, a love fest between the theatrical owners and the studios. And I'd be very interested to see how that goes because um, a lot of topics, uh, a lot of topics to cover. So hopefully, hopefully we will have uh, some more good news in the days ahead, because as we know, uh, New York recently opened their theaters, uh, limited capacity and stuff. And I believe the Los Angeles area is getting set to do there soon. And that leads us to our next topic that um, late last week, California announced that um, if counties are in a certain tier for infections and California has had several weeks of declining um, infections, declining hospitalizations and across the board, the powers that be have said, you know what, theme parks can open as soon as April 1st. And uh, there are certain conditions such as you have to wear face coverings, you have to do the health and safety, they will only open at 15% capacity, and there will be some restrictions on what they call uh, indoor rides. So, for example, uh, looking at Knott's Berry Farm, something like the Calico Mine Ride, something like the Log Ride, where uh, large portions of it are indoors uh, for extended portions of time, that might be a problem. They might not be able to run those, or they'll have to drastically space things out. But certain things like roller coasters, certain things like the Roaring Rapids rides could potentially happen. Uh, you know, looking at Disneyland, uh, certain things shouldn't be a problem. I mean, I could see Space Mountain being an issue because it's indoors, but something like Thunder Mountain, that it's outdoors. But uh, something indoors, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge attractions might be a problem. The, you know, those details haven't been announced yet, but things like the teacups and uh, various outdoor attractions could continue to go ahead. So, Joseph, you start us off. What do you think of this? 
Well, I just got to say that my kids aren't old enough to understand. <laughs> I'm glad. Uh, I think it's too soon. I think that we need to get into a herd immunity phase before we start doing any of this stuff. And we're not there yet. And we're taking the steps, but just haven't gotten there. And I think it's, I, I think that I understand, you know, the economy is taking a hit and we need to do something, but I don't think that this is the right thing to do right now. And Justin, your take. Oh, go ahead. I was to say, but that's just me. Like, and, and I look out, like, I have two almost five-year-old kids that I'm, I think about their safety and everything like that. And yeah, (laughs) I just, I can't see it being a good thing. I only see things going downhill if this happens. Yeah. And it it is difficult. It is definitely difficult. Justin, your take, please. Yeah. So I kind of see it. um, You know, I I don't really know what the right answer is because I kind of see you know, both sides of it. I think that, um, you know, every, every place and location has kind of got a different situation going on. It's obviously, you know, I think some, even at a County level, um, you know, like, like you mentioned Gareth, I mean, um, some counties in California are just simply doing better than other counties. And, um, you know, I think that when you're kind of looking at that local level, um, you know, they can kind of make decisions that are, you know, best for them. Um, but that being said, you know, it does raise the question, like, will, will this, we are going in the right direction. Thankfully. Um, it is like cases are going down everywhere. It's, or either that or leveling off, uh, which is definitely great. Vaccines are, are definitely up, but, um, you know, the, the, the risk, you know, the, the central question is, is the risk of going, uh, basically going back in the in the wrong direction and um i can definitely see the argument that this is this is a reckless move and that could risk you know us basically backsliding and in, into the wrong direction you know the other thing too though is that um i would hope that disney and a lot of these other organizations are, are have you know the agility to basically uh change course if if things are kind of going in the wrong direction again that uh, like okay, look, uh, cases are starting to go back up. Like let's go back and uh, you know shut things down again. I would hope that they have the infrastructure in place that they can kind of facilitate that very quickly. Um, you know, I I do kind of leave it up to them, like them as an organization. You know, the the local authorities to kind of make the decision whether you know something is safe or not. Um, but you know, I suppose the other thing too is that you know even when places like disneyland open up like a lot of you know even at a at an individual level parents will make the decision you know whether something is safe for their children or not um you know which is also totally reasonable um i think that there's a lot of different calculations going on where you know between people on an individual level counties you know disney as a company uh, even states they're all kind of like making decisions based upon whatever information they're getting so even when disneyland opens up like uh, i wouldn't really expect there to be a huge demand of a lot of people coming in uh or at least not the not to the the extent of like n- like normal levels like without covid um 
but I suppose we'll have to kind of see, hopefully, that this isn't something that contributes to backsliding, but, you know, I do, I do have to wonder if this is maybe a little too soon, but I, I'm not too sure myself. I think it's going to be quite popular, Justin. They had their uh, paid event, and there were people already on the fan sites the night before it went on sale that were online at midnight just so they could be in the queue. I was on the page all uh, morning, and I missed the tab. Uh, They moved the tab to get into the queue at the bottom of the page. I got on it five-and-a-half-hour wait to get into the ticket window, and all the April dates, excuse me, all the March dates were gone. Uh, Only a small fraction of the April dates were gone, and those went very soon after as well. There is a fanatical base of people at Disney. Um, The fact that they sold out this event very quickly shows that, and this isn't even to go on rides. This is just to go around, uh, get a few tasting events, go, you know, a little bit of entertainment and stuff and people were paying $75 a pop for this. I mean, yes, that included 25 in food and their parking and a photo pass. But the point of the matter is the, the, the demand is there. And I did a quick check. And of course, obviously I don't know how accurate these numbers are, but it's a, uh, approximation, but apparently Disneyland has a capacity of about 80 to 88,000 people. So under the guidelines, you'd be looking at about 12,000 and change is what they would allow per day. Uh, by contrast, knots under 15 per, uh, at 15% capacity would only be about 5,000 people. Now, Disney also has two parks, so you know the idea that they could split them between the two, but I don't think they're going to allow park hoppers. There's whole, you know, you have to get tickets in advance. There's this whole issue about well, what are they going to do about the season pass people when they open up uh, Florida, which Orlando has said, you know, they still haven't seen any contact tracing directly to the parks. You had the issue of the season pass holders still having to get tickets and so on and so forth. Uh, we don't know what Universal Studios is going to do. We don't know what Magic Mountain is going to do, but they had already come out weeks ago and said that they were intending to be uh, open by May. And it's kind of one of these, as you said, it's a very gray area because I am in some of these fan groups and they very clearly have said, I don't care. I'm ready to go. I'll wear my masks. But then I also hear stories out of Florida where you hear things about once people get in the dark, they're pulling their masks down and that you're having issues in some places where people are being told, hey, you can't take your mask down except in spaced uh, dining areas. And they're being confrontational about this. And, you know, obviously, well, at that point, you bring the police in and you, um, ban them from the park but see again that gets to be a problem of these folks have so much that they're supposed to be doing already here's another curveball to throw at you apparently they're also going to start opening up the water parks and the idea behind it is well you're outside you're in the chlorine just go ahead and space from everybody and if you've ever been in a wave pool it's very difficult to space from people when the waves are splashing you into one another so you know these are all logistical things they have to figure out now that being said uh, Knott's Berry Farm started their uh, taste event and this is the first one they've had since they've had to shut down in December 
And like their earlier ones, they're getting rave reviews. Very well spaced. People are wearing their masks. They're compliant. Uh, people were talking about, you know, didn't have to wait in long lines. Uh, had plenty of uh, space to eat where I was isolated from people. There was live entertainment. Uh, felt very safe. Apparently the local health departments have said that it is like their other ones exceeding the guidelines that they're setting down. So, you know, it, it it's weird because some places it seems like they're getting the message. If you, if you goof this thing up, it goes away. You've already seen what happened when we had to shut down around Christmas time. So if you want this, this is what's going to happen. So we will see. I know we're supposed to have a look at it at the end of the month, but I, you know, to give you a, a heads up, we also looked at during the week versus um, going on the weekend. So uh, because you know, my attitude was I'm willing to bet that a Friday afternoon is going to be much less uh, busy than a Saturday or Sunday. So we will see how that all plays out. The final thing that we have today is something that. Justin and I and Michael, we've been following since January 2018 when we first were told a game was coming. We're not going to recap the long story of all the starts and stops, but Aliens Fireteam changed, changed hands uh, from studios, but Cold Iron, the developer behind it, stayed put. We got to have a look at the game this week finally. We got a name. We got some screenshots. We got a look at it. Justin, why don't you start us off? Give us a breakdown and tell us why we should be excited about this. Um, yeah, I mean, the short version is it looks great. Um, yeah, like you said, we've been talking about this for years at this point. Uh, what a kind of interesting ride this has been sort of following this because of, uh, you know, this this game started development when, you know, before Disney absorbed Fox. Um, you know, like you said, I don't want to go back and retread everything, but... There is there is some tumultuous time, you know, whether a lot of people wondered whether this game was ever actually going to come out, if it was dead, um, just because it was so radio silent. We just got that initial announcement that it was being made, and then nothing radio silence for extremely long time. Uh, they would occasionally say like, "Oh, you know, it's still in development," but you know, I think a lot of, I think most people were probably betting that this game was dead because. We heard so little about it, and um, when companies change hands, like what happened between Fox and, and Disney, um, a lot of times, like projects that are in development, they tend to they tend to you know go by the wayside. Um, like Star Wars thirteen thirteen. Exactly, exactly. So, um, but fortunately, um, you know, it's actually coming out, and this actually kind of goes to towards um, kind of one of my more favored if not my favorite way of like a revealing a game, which is basically reveal it when it's pretty much done and, you know, about to re be released in a few months. Um, they basically, they announced it this week. Like they, we got a, an official name, um, got a trailer for it. And then a couple of days later, a full 25 minute demo at IGN. Um, so it's not one of those like, Oh, you know, we're going to tease it. And then, you know, uh, you'll, you'll maybe see, uh, some gameplay for it in six months, uh, you know, kind of thing. Uh, this was a, oh, here's the game. It's coming out this summer. Uh, and here is, uh, here is it pl absolutely playable. And it looks, it looks great. I mean, uh, I'm a little biased cause I'm a huge, 
you know, alien fan. Uh, I used to run, run an alien versus predator fan site. It's just been in my blood for so long. So I, I might have some of those biases, but, um, but no, like legitimately, I think it looks very polished. Um, I remember way back when we were all playing Left 4 Dead in 2008, uh, such an ancient time. Um, even back then, I was like, this this format would be perfect for aliens. Um, and this is really kind of what the game is, is it's, it's very much a um, co-op shooter, um, which is kind of interesting, like going back and uh, reading a little bit about some of the stuff that was being written about this game before it was announced. There were some implications that it was going to be more like Destiny, which I thought was very intriguing of an idea, but I didn't, I wasn't quite sold on it um you know to me it's that's more seemed like a it seemed like what they was being implied that would there be some sort of hub and then there would be kind of more open world areas where you would kind of co-op with your friends um this is not that this is i don't really get destiny vibes from this i get more just left for dead and like that's basically from my understanding that the the structure is there's four campaigns that have um you know four maps or something like that three three maps or i can't remember the exact number but there's there's separate campaigns and there's maps within those campaigns um that kind of tell individual little stories kind of like left for dead they're just kind of stringed together um one other kind of interesting note is that it is three player teams and not four which i'm guessing they're doing from a balance standpoint um so uh, that that's interesting. Um, my guess is that uh, they're probably going to support this game with more camp. Like if it does well, more campaigns down the line, um, just add it as DLC. So yeah, it, it seems like maybe someone had misinterpreted uh, when they made that Destiny comment about equating with this game's structure to Destiny. That I think the hub is is the ship that you're on, and that's where you choose like which campaign you want to do with your friends. Um, I guess another game that's similar in style that I'm kind of thinking of is Deep Rock Galactic, which is an indie title where you play as space dwarves, uh, kind of a similar concept where you fight space bugs. But in that, you have a hub where, you know, you uh, you link up with your friends, and from, from that ship, that's where you decide, like, which planet you want. Well, it's wall one planet, but which biome you want to... Uh, basically do your mission on um but yeah some other notes about it uh it's interesting that they kind of went with a third person uh over the shoulder uh style which i actually think that that's actually sort of refreshing because a lot of these games just tend to be first person um it does give it a little bit more of like a, a like a connection with your marine i think that's a good idea um i like the different aliens they have they have one that kind of uses the vents uh, and tries to flank you they have a very strong warrior um like a spitter you know it, it seems like they're really they put a lot of thought into this it looks very polished um and you know i'm i'm very impressed with what i'm seeing so far and i'm really looking forward to it and joseph your take please yeah you know it's interesting that we get to see this this week after um Outriders released last week because to me they have a very similar style of gameplay, very similar feel from what I was seeing in the the gameplay video that they put out on the Aliens game. Um, I don't know. Uh, 
I think it's exciting because we're it, it looks to be a good game, and I think we're finally going to get another really good game in that universe. It, just not my cup of tea. And it's interesting that you said that that they said it was going to be kind of a Destiny competitor. Um, because they said the same thing, or at least what I heard was they said the same thing about Outriders. But like to me, being an avid Destiny player, I don't, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see the same feeling. I don't see the same appeal. But at the same time, I don't know the full plans and what they're trying to do, and if how it's going to be, if it's going to be games as a service, or if it's going to be continuing and everything like that. Because that's a lot of upkeep, and I think some studios that get into this don't exactly understand what that means. I mean, take a look at. I mean, well, Anthem had its own problems, but with Anthem being shut down recently, um, and there's a few other studios that are starting to say, well, we're starting to close doors because this is more than what we expected it to be. I'm hoping that they really know what they're getting into with this and they have enough content and diversity to keep people coming and staying. I think the thing to uh, note about it is that there's... um, there's still a backlash out there from Aliens Colonial Marines. It uh, basically soured some people. I've seen a lot of comments from people saying, oh, God, the Colonial Marines again. Oh, geez, another shooter. Um, people keep bringing up the comparison to Left for Dead. Well, my attitude is Left for Dead's first-person shooter. My take on it when I saw it was it immediately made me think more of Gears of War because there appeared to be a cover system that sort of thing but i understand and then somebody brought it up and i think they really nailed it they said i'm thinking more like the world war z game in that third person shooter wave after wave coming at you there are times that you cover there are times that you use equipment um various classes upgrades that sort of thing and i think that's a good base now we we need to know how long the game is and we've had people you know there's always going to be people online with their snarky comments and we get people saying Eh, you know, whatever. It's important to remember when this game began development, it was for the PS4, the Xbox One, and the PC. And yes, they are going to be putting it out on the next generation consoles as well. So hopefully there'll be some upgrades for that. As Justin pointed out, hopefully down the line there'll be new content and stuff. You know, Cold Iron is a new studio. They are made up of vets who've worked on things from, you know, Bioshock to City of Heroes and so on and so forth. So, you know, obviously people are going to be curious to see how this plays out. Uh, There is a prequel novel coming, which is due in uh, April or March or April. uh, They keep changing the day. I think it's April now before Alien Day, I would expect on alien day we're going to uh, get a lot more stuff but you mentioned the enemies and that's what i found very interesting their website which is aliensfireteam.com claims there'll be over 20 enemy types including 11 different xenomorphs uh, along the evolutionary scale from face huggers to praetorians each designed with their own intelligence to ambush outsmart and eviscerate vulnerable marines well we already saw you know, the way they originally had pitched Aliens Colonial Marines was similar in that, you know, when we first saw it at E3, it looked like a uh, Left 4 Dead style game. They talked about the aliens being similar to how they ended up being in uh, isolation in that they would be able to analyze and interpret your patterns, attack patterns, and set things. They talked about how things could pop out of nowhere, not necessarily scripted and it would mix it up 
the fire team has five unique classes, gunner, demolisher, technician, dock, and recon, each with their own special abilities and character perks. It says there'll be an arsenal of 30-plus weapons and 70-plus mods and attachments. So obviously, you know, again, the snarky people are going to come out and say, oh, see, here comes the DLC, and here comes the, you know, microtransactions and pay to win and so on and so forth. But the fact is, it is a game that is set up for you to work as a team. They said, the developers have said, you can play it on your own, but you'll get two bot assistance because you can't go through this lone wolf and win, and it is best played if you have your own people. So like, for example, the three of us uh, going it and doing them together in a coordinated, and of course you'll have to learn what class works best for you, which one is not ideal, which ones do you need to get through the mission? So I look at it this way. Is it going to be the be-all and end-all of Alien games? Probably not. Is it going to be better than the majority of them that have been released? Certainly looks like it, and we certainly hope it is. It doesn't look like it's been rushed. They've definitely taken their time with it. So let's give it a wait and see and, uh, you know, see how it plays out. Now, on one hand, I'm kind of disappointed because this is exactly the kind of thing that would be ideal for E3. And I could already imagine the very elaborate booth that they might have had and the hands-on play test and stuff like that and the photo ops. But, you know, it is the world in which it is. Hopefully it will be out um, shortly after that. All we know is summer of 2021. So at least we can look forward to it. Can I make another, one other, uh, just one last point about it? So sure. it just occurred to me too. One thing I think they, that's smart about the way that they revealed this is I think it's like totally in uh, the opposite of, or the antithesis of how they revealed Colonial Marines and the problems with it. So the, the main problem with Colonial Marines was when they revealed that game, um, it was a, a vertical slice and it wasn't actual gameplay and it was it looked really good but it ended up not being indicative of what the final game looked like and i think what's smart about this is they had like actual you know the 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 devs playing with somebody who was not a dev um going through a full demo so this is you know ostensibly this i've seen the same comments like people not believing like oh you know this is just colonial marines again you know they're just skeptical that this is actually what it looks like but um you know if I guess this this is actually what it looks like. This is, you know, the devs playing with somebody who's not a developer, and I think that was a very deliberate move to basically show people, like, this is actually what the game is going to look like. And I think that's definitely very smart. Indeed. And a little bit of breaking news that just came down the pipe for Doom fans. Doom Eternal, The Ancient Gods Part 2 will get its teaser trailer on 3-15-2021. And since Justin, I believe, is the only one of us who didn't absolutely go crazy with the uh, ridiculous jump puzzles of Ancient Gods Part 1, including the addition of the fans, uh, I'm sure this is something we're all going to be very excited to see uh, what they have in store for us. So that is going to do it for us this week, folks. Next week, we should be back, have Michael and everyone back, and uh, we'll see what the news of the week holds for us. Until that time, take care, be safe, and we'll talk to you soon.